MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, October 13th, 2023. Today, the U.S. and Qatar have agreed to stop Iran from tapping the $6 billion fund after the Hamas attack on Israel. Secretary of State Antony Blinken speaks during his trip to the region. Senator Bob Menendez is hit with a superseding indictment for failing to register as a foreign agent. The special counsel probe into President Biden's handling of classified documents appears to be near an end. Donald Trump plans to return to New York in his civil trial. And Judge Eileen Cannon postpones the conflict of interest hearing for Walt Nada. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello. Happy Friday. It's nice to see you after the fly fiasco. <laughs> the fly incident of 2023. That's it. This is going to go down in history. Every All the listeners loved it. It, it definitely will. Uh, and um, yes, I've been sent so many videos and photos and memes. I just want to thank everybody for all your kind emails about that incident. <laughs> I appreciate it very much. Also, later in the show, I'm going to be talking with NBC Justice correspondent and author of the new book, Sedition Hunters, How January 6th Broke the Justice System. That's Ryan Riley. And if you're not following him on social media, he's one of the funnier, if not the funniest, like mainstream media people out there. Um, he's up there with like Joy Reid. I mean, it's he's really, really funny. You would love to read his tweets or his threads or whatever social media platform you're on. A couple of quick hits. First of all, and you know, I just want to kind of just in general talk to you about this, Dana, because the Republicans still don't know what the fuck they're doing. Scalise keeps losing votes. Not I don't think there's a single Republican in the House that can pull 217 votes. That's how many votes are needed to be elected speaker. Because remember, there's a whole, you know, group of Democrats that get to vote on this shit, too. Oh, yeah. And uh, and our leader today, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, Representative Hakeem Jeffries, kind of sort of put it out there that he'd be willing to work across the aisle to help out so we can get our government in order, you know, uh, and, you know, we just need to maybe, you know, the door's open, right? But then the Republicans are like, will you make us an offer? And Hakeem Jeffries is like, blow me, you know, like, do you, you want us to come save your ass and come to you with an offer? Like, no, this like, you want our help, come and ask for our help. And it's just, you know, it's interesting to think about the possibilities, right? Because there's about 18 Republicans in the House that are in Biden, in districts Biden won. Yeah. And I would start with them and be like, would you guys be willing to vote for Hakeem Jeffries for Speaker of the House? I don't know that there's a single Republican that would. The other option is to find a Republican you can trust in the House and agreed that the Dems would vote for that person for speaker. And then you would only need five Republicans to vote for that person. And maybe you tie that to funding the government, funding Ukraine, funding Taiwan, funding Israel, and maybe just maybe go back to the the budget Kevin McCarthy agreed to in May instead of a continuing resolution. Let's pass a budget together um, that does all of those things. There's another idea of bringing in an outside person who the yeah. who at least five Republicans would vote for, like perhaps Paul Ryan 
or, you know, I mean, I can't, it's the possibilities, whatever. It's just something to open up your thoughts to. But, you know, because we wouldn't work with McCarthy because he was untrustworthy. So the question becomes, is there anybody in the Republican House caucus there that we would feel comfortable trusting enough to do us our solid and pass our budgets and fund everything that we need to fund and get done after we've helped elect them speaker. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I, I Please don't kill me for saying this out loud, listeners, and just because her name popped into my head. But like Liz Cheney, I feel like at least the Democrats know that she would fight for democracy, even though I disagree with her on so many other issues. She's still a Republican at heart and, uh, you know, voted along lines uh, with, with Trump a lot of the time. But she still cares about the democracy of the country, the safety of our country. And I think that she would be able to get, you know, things going. It's just that she's still respected by the Republicans. She's just not respected by the, the, the MAGA folks. But no one is. So if they don't get their person, they're not going to vote for anybody. So why not try? Yeah. And to be fair to, to you bringing up Liz Cheney, any Republican, any Republican is a Republican. Yeah. <laughs> like they're still a Republican. They still helped put this Supreme Court in place. They still vote with Trump 90 whatever percent of the time. They still are terrible to marginalized communities. They don't want people to, you know, they don't want a democracy, one vote, one person, one vote. They're, they're still Republicans. So, yeah, go into this conversation knowing that any Republican is still a Republican and that we don't don't agree with any any of their stuff. The, you know, but again, the question becomes. Because unless you can get five Republicans to vote for Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrats would have to be voting for a Republican speaker. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And all again, all Republicans are still Republicans. So that's where the uncomfortableness comes in. Right. Do we do it for the good of the country so we can get shit done so we can back Israel properly so we can get our military promotions through, you know, because maybe they could pass legislation, they could pass a resolution that takes the hold off of, you know, what Tuberville is doing. Um, There's a lot of a lot of potential there to get a lot of stuff done that that should just be done, you know, by reasonable people. I just that so. reasonable people is the is carrying a lot of weight mm-hmm. here. And so that's why I'm like, I don't I don't have an answer. So please don't write in angry that I said Liz Cheney. We were really just spitballing ideas here. Right. Because, you know, part of me is like, no, I'm not going to vote for any Republican ever. But if we could fund Ukraine, get our government funded and shut down this clown show, this embarrassment of a clown show. You know, is that worth it? Is that worth us voting for a Republican? And when I say us, I mean Democrats in the House. And I, again, trust the leadership of Hakeem Jeffries to make that decision. Yep. Me too. And I'm glad I don't have to make it. uh, And I'm going to I'm going to back him on whatever he does. A couple other quick hits. Special counsel Robert Hur. Remember that guy? He was appointed by Merrick Garland to to investigate President Biden's handling of classified information, those classified documents that were found at his office, his interim office and at his home, looks like, you know, he interviewed Biden, President Biden twice over the weekend that was scheduled weeks ago. And that is signaling the end of his investigation. Um, Andy and I, Andy McCabe and I are going to discuss how likely charges are on this weekend's Jack podcast from that reporting Uh, And also Judge Aileen Cannon held two Garcia hearings. Those are conflicts of interest hearings 
because Nauda and De Oliveira's lawyers, who are paid for by Trump previously and sometime in one case currently, rep other witnesses that the Department of Justice plans to call or could call during the trial. Judge Cannon postponed the Nauda hearing. She got pissed because the DOJ messed up and uh, shut down the whole hearing. Uh, but De Oliveira says he wants to go forward with his conflicted attorney. He waived his conflicts. But Nauda, that one blew up. So we're going to have to talk about that in a lot of detail on the jackpot as well. So with that out of the way, we have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up from The Washington Post, U.S. officials and the Qatari government have agreed to stop Iran from accessing the six billion dollar account for humanitarian assistance in light of Hamas's attack on Israel. That's Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adeyemo told the House Democrats on Thursday. And that's according to two people who spoke on the condition of anonymity. Coming just a few weeks after the U.S. and Iran announced a deal on the money, the decision not to permit access could have major geopolitical reverberations, with the Biden administration undercutting negotiations with Tehran that took years to finalize. Biden aides had rejected the unfounded accusation that funds not yet released had fueled the Hamas attack, but they still faced a bipartisan backlash on Capitol Hill aimed at preventing the money from going to Iran at all. The move reflects just how rapidly the Hamas massacre in Israel has reshaped U.S. relations in the region. As Israel pummels Gaza in retaliation, the Biden administration has reaffirmed its commitment to its allies with Secretary of State Antony Blinken traveling to Israel in a show of support. Further punitive measures against Tehran are possible. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen suggested Wednesday that the U.S. is considering additional sanctions to Iran. Uh, while there has been no evidence of Iran's direct role in the slaughter, U.S. officials say Hamas has received weapons and training from Iran. It's a long relationship. And, quote, the world just changed. And it changed because Iran has built a barbaric terrorist organization inside Gaza that just raped and murdered hundreds of Israelis. That's Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat from Connecticut, leading Democrat on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Murphy added he has not discussed the matter with administration officials. Quote, I don't really care what the hardliners think. They have to understand the entire region is different today. Now, asked about the push to freeze the aid, Iran's mission to the United Nations responded in a statement, quote, the money rightfully belongs to the people of Iran, earmarked for the government of the Islamic Republic of Iran to facilitate the acquisition of all essential and non-sanctioned requisites for the Iranians. The deal, financed by Iranian oil sales, allowed Iranian entities, not the Iranian government, to access the fund and only if they provided extensive documentation showing the money will be used for humanitarian purposes. U.S. officials would have to approve each and every transaction under the agreement. The money had been transferred to Qatar from banks in South Korea to facilitate the arrangement. Those banks in South Korea were set up by Donald Trump and his administration to allow Iranian oil sales despite sanctions on Iran. The administration has not ruled out, at least publicly, the possibility that the money will become unfrozen again at some point. Thank you so much, A.G. And this comes from ABC. Secretary of State Antony Blinken on Thursday described gruesome photos. And this is a warning content, please. Gruesome photos and videos he reviewed depicting victims of Hamas's terrorist attack on Israeli civilians. He said it's hard to find the right words. It's beyond what anyone would ever want to imagine, much less, God forbid, experience. He said that at a press conference in Israel. He went on to say, a baby, an infant, this, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get through this story. You might have to take it. Um, a baby, can, an infant. Yeah, I can take it for you. Yeah. Do you um, want this, me to take this? If you don't mind, this one's, yeah. 
It's hard. Uh, he said a baby, an infant riddled with bullets, soldiers beheaded, young people burned alive. I could go on, but it's simple, simply depravity in the worst imaginable way. And they actually is Israel released three photos. Um, I have not looked at them. They have shown them on M MSNBC, but they've shown them with uh, extreme warning. And I turned away each time. I just didn't want those images in my head. Uh, Blinken said that the photos shown to him behind closed doors by Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu and the Israeli government would ultimately show exactly the horrors its people have confronted and serve to unify through, quote, moral clarity. So images are worth a thousand words, he said. These images may be worth a million. Asked about the humanitarian situation in Gaza, Blinken said talks were to secure safe passage, but he said there were factors beyond Israeli retaliation that imperiled civilians, quote, I think it's first important to remember a fundamental issue that makes this complicated. Hamas continues to use civilians as human shields, something that's not new, something that they've always done, intentionally putting civilians in harm's way to protect themselves. So that's one of the basic facts that Israel has to deal with. He went on to say, of course, civilians should not be used in any way as the targets of military operations. And they are not the target of Israel's operations. We did discuss ways to address the humanitarian needs and people living in Gaza to protect them from harm, while Israel conducts its legitimate security operations to defend itself from terrorism and to try to ensure that this never happens again. Do you want to pick it up from here? Yeah, thank you. It, it definitely comes in waves, but I thank you very much, A.G. Let me know if you need me to... Take over again. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Secretary of State told Israel earlier on Thursday that the United States will always be there for the nation as it continues to grapple with the attack by Hamas terrorists. And this is a quote to end the story. People of Israel have long and rightly prided themselves on their self-reliance, on their ability to defend themselves, even when the odds are stacked against them. That's what Blinken said, standing at a podium next to Netanyahu and continued by saying, the message that I bring to Israel is this, you may be strong enough on your own to defend yourself, but as long as Americans exist, you will never ever have to. You will always be there by your side. He was very, very powerful and well-spoken today. And um, if you get a minute to watch his speech and that press conference, I, I highly recommend it. He, you know, he talked about the, the Hamas using civilians as human shields in Gaza, saying they hide yeah. their weapons amid the people. They hide themselves amid the people. There was a, a, a very powerful graphic I saw, and it was Hamas on one side with uh, a terrorist holding a gun with a baby carriage in front of him, facing an Israeli holding a gun with the baby carriage behind him. And mm -hmm. that is the difference. It's one of them, is mm -hmm. that the Israelis are trying to protect their children and civilians and the innocent, and Hamas is using them as shields. And as we said, this is very specifically Hamas, not the Palestinian people. This is a terrorist group. And so when we talk about that, please remember we are being very specific with this. Yeah. I mean, we, you, you would be liberating everyone from Hamas. Absolutely. And their terror. All right, we're going to switch gears. That was tough to get through. Thanks, Dana. I'm sorry. No, thank you. Um, next up, from Adam Klasfeld at The Messenger, there is a common theme in Donald Trump's itinerary when the former president plans to appear in New York State Supreme Court for his civil fraud trial. It usually means he has a deposition in another lawsuit. <laughs> 
When he first stepped foot in court on October 2nd, Trump had been scheduled for a deposition in the then active $500 million civil lawsuit he filed against Michael Cohen in the Southern District of Florida. According to court documents, Trump's legal team persuaded a federal judge to postpone that deposition so he could attend each day of the very important first week of proceedings and then left early and withdrew the lawsuit before the rescheduled date. (laughs) As the messenger exclusively reported on Thursday, Trump plans to return to New York City courthouse next Tuesday, October 17th. Want to know why? That's the anticipated date of Cohen's testimony as one of the attorney general's star witnesses against the former president in the civil fraud trial. Oh, and also, that's the day Trump is scheduled to sit for a deposition in Peter Strzok and Lisa Page's lawsuit. <laughs> He's very busy. He's got a very, very full dance card. Mm-hmm. Very full dance card mm-hmm. these days. I'm sorry, I can't be deposed for the Peter Strzok lawsuit. I have to be in court. I have to be in my trial. It's important. That's my trial. There, it's very. It's the perfect trial. Okay, so you know we know the former president vilified Pete Strzok and Lisa Page after their work connected with the federal investigation into his 2016 campaign's ties with the Russian government. In 2019, Strzok and Page sued the Justice Department for releasing their private emails disparaging Trump, whose rage they say ultimately caused their wrongful termination. U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit on September 1st rejected the DOJ's request to block Trump's deposition, leading to a series of email exchanges scheduling a date for it to take place that have since been entered into the court record. Quote, we are confirmed for Tuesday, October 17th, 2023. That's what Trump's attorney David Warrington wrote in an email back on September 28th. Quote, we have set aside the time from 1 to 4 p.m. for the two-hour deposition. Warrington's note also said a room had been reserved. The location isn't publicly mentioned, and that room can accommodate 20 people. I will let everyone know what information the Secret Service needs from the people attending, as well as the directions for redacted at the given time. Pete Strzok declined to comment, and his attorney, uh, Goldman, a former federal prosecutor who helped convict the Oklahoma City bomber, by the way, also didn't immediately respond for a request for comment. The Trump campaign also did not immediately respond to a request for comment. I've talked to Pete Strzok. Um, He also isn't publicly commenting. Um, But, you know, give a listen to the Cleanup on Aisle 45 podcast for any information that we can share. All right. Thank you, A.G. This last one's from Reuters. Prosecutors pursuing a corruption case against Bob Menendez on Thursday brought a new charge against the Democratic U.S. senator accusing him of engaging in a conspiracy to act as a foreign agent for the Egyptian government. The new charge was included in a revised indictment filed against the senator for New Jersey in federal court in Manhattan that includes four counts against Menendez. His trial on corruption charges will begin in May. Now, prosecutors have said that Menendez and his wife, Nadine, accepted gold bars and hundreds of thousands of dollars in exchange for using their influence to interfere with law enforcement probes of three New Jersey businessmen, as well as aid the Egyptian government. Now, the new indictment accuses the senator, until recently the chair, by the way, of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, of taking actions from 2018 to 2022 on behalf of Egyptian military and intelligence officials without registering with the U.S. Department of Justice as a foreign agent. Under the Foreign Agents Registration Act, individuals must register with the department if they act as an agent of a foreign principal. Well, prosecutors have said that a co-defendant, Whale Hanna, arranged meetings between the senator and Egyptian officials who pressed him to sign off on military aid. In return, the businessman put Nadine Menendez on the payroll of a company he controlled. 
Well, the new indictment said Bohana and Nadine Menendez communicated requests and directives from Egyptian officials to the senator. This is a quote, the new allegation that Wilhana was part of a plot concocted over dinner to enlist Senator Menendez as an agent of the Egyptian government is as absurd as it is false. That's, of course, from Hanna's lawyer, Lawrence Lustberg, and that was said in a statement. A lawyer from Menendez did not respond to a request for comment. The senator has resisted calls for his resignation and has pleaded not guilty. The prior charges against him, as have his wife, Hanna, and their co-defendants, businessman Jose Irabe and Fred Dabes. Yeah. Now, if you're a patron of Clean Up on L45, Pete and I discussed this on the bonus episode this weekend. And we go into some pretty interesting spy shit, right? Because that photo that's in the indictment of them having dinner, where Nadine said, what can the love of my life do for you today to Egyptian official number two? That photo was taken from a nearby table at eye level, which looks like somebody surveilling them. And they also knew what she said. So they were also listening. So that is interesting because that could mean there might have been a FISA warrant or somebody. And that took place in 2019. And Pete even knows which steakhouse it is. So you don't want to miss that episode uh, if you have uh, if you're a patron of Clean Up on All 45. It's really good. And there's a lot of profanity. Love it. I know he goes off this weekend. So my my fellow uh, cleanup patrons, you're going to love it. Oh, and by the way, I think I mentioned this during the last show, but not this Friday, but next Friday, it's going to be a combined happy hour for patrons for the beans and for cleanup on L45. Pete will be there. So you can ask him questions. Um, and you know, the deposition is next week, and Trump will be in New York. So just a thought. It's a perfect storm of brilliance. <laughs> Up next, I get to talk to Ryan Riley, one of my favorite people. And we talk about his new book called Sedition Hunters. You can pre-order it right now, wherever you get your books. It comes out this Tuesday. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Happy to be joined today by, first of all, one of the funniest people on Twitter that's, that still works for Legacy Media. If you don't follow him, you need to follow him already. He's NBC News justice reporter and author of the new book, which is out October 17th. It's called Sedition Hunters, How January 6th Broke the Justice System. Please welcome Ryan Riley. Hey, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, wonderful to talk to you. Uh, I, I think this is the first time you've been on the show. But I always encourage you as like one of the top follows on, uh, I still call it Twitter. But are you on other social media networks right now that we should know about? I'm on threads and I'm on Blue Sky. I feel like I'm putting more focus on threads right now. Um, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think threads is going to be the the landing place here, to, depending on how fast Twitter falls apart if it hasn't completely already. It's the first one that I felt like I wasn't really just like sort of talking into the void uh, since Twitter, where it was like, you know, it's like, oh, I have, you know, enough people there where it's like, okay, you know, this is worth uh, <laughs> worth yeah. Uh, highlighting. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, it kind of ties in with Sedition Hunters because a lot of that stuff, you know, was shared back on Twitter back in the day, um, you know, shortly after the attack on the Capitol. But talk a little bit about what prompted you to write this book, because I know you are like in the soup, you're in the thick of it every day at the courthouse reporting on all of these, all of these cases and giving us the download. But what what made you want to write the book? You know, it was actually a Twitter joke that sort of set this all off. Uh, it's actually someone named uh, Rachel Powell, who uh, some people might remember as Bullhorn Lady, and she was wearing a pink hat and sort of guiding people um, around uh, the Capitol and sort of instructing people. And the tone that she struck in these videos while she was sort of saying 
um, you know, here's what we need to do. Everyone needs to coordinate together was very much um, what I thought, like, you know, you would sound like if you were a school, uh, an eighth grade chaperone, basically giving a tour of the Capitol. It was just like very much in that tone of like a, a kind of like flustered, frustrated par uh, parental unit uh, sort of laying down the law. It's like, OK, guys, here's what we need to do. Um, so I made some joke about um you know 20 bucks says that this per this ends in both an arrest and a pta resignation um ultimately i was a little bit off it turns out she's a mother of eight rather than um a uh, a chaperone um but um nonetheless i think i, I hit the right uh, theme there um and she's seen there bashing in a window with uh, effectively um you know a pipe i think it was some sort of material that was on the, the stage there um and i ended up getting a message from um a, a handle known as uh, deep state dogs um and this they said that you know hey we've identified this person um we're not going to sort of put it out yet but just wanted to sort of you know let you know and um i wasn't able to ultimately convince the person behind it uh who's now uh forrest rogers is his name uh, he's now gone uh public as one of the slews and really one of the only slews who's willing to sort of go on the record but he was saying hey you know we've identified this person um ultimately the new yorker uh beat me to the story but I sort of followed up on it and stayed uh, and stayed on it. And, you know, despite Ronan Farrow, um, you know, beating me on that one, I decided that, you know, I'd get the next one. And that one ended up being um, really important. It was someone who uh, drove a stun gun into Officer Mike Fanone's neck. Um, and so we ran that story in, in March and then he was uh, arrested a month later. So that's really was sort of my entry into this um, entire sort of sleuthing world and realizing how far ahead of the FBI um, some of these just sort of average Americans were. Yeah. And, you know, I'm working on a, a project talking about the importance of, of citizen journalists. And here is this incredible book that you've put out about the importance of like citizens working on behalf of the Justice Department. Talk a little bit about it because it seems, you know, and it, it doesn't seem it is true that the courts in D.C., the D Department of Justice, with the number, sheer number of cases and the sheer amount of evidence and video and geolocation is just so overwhelming. Uh, and even, you know, despite Department of Justice asking for all these resources, how important after you, you did all this research, how important was it for there to be citizens that were working on behalf of, of bringing in and bringing to justice a lot of these uh, insurrectionists? They were just really critical. And I've, I've heard that from numerous officials that they really are driving these investigations. Now you sort of flip more to the accountability side where they're sort of following up on these and making sure that um, someone is pursuing them and not letting the FBI sort of drop the ball on these because there really are just hundreds of them sitting out there. Um, just to give you a sense of the numbers, uh, right now we're at a little over 1,100 people who have been arrested um, in connection with the Capitol attack. But in reality, the number of people that you could arrest, either for going inside, for assaulting law enforcement officers, outside um, or for engaging in some sort of property damage uh, is well north of, of 3,000. So we're really only, you know, a third of the way theoretically through. Um, but the statute of limitations, on the other hand, is five years. And we're far past the halfway mark at this point. We're, uh, you know, to use the to just really lean into the, I guess, the sports metaphor, we're deep into the third quarter, really, at this point, because you need to uh, get these cases going before that five-year statute of limitations hits in early uh, 2026. Um, and really, you know, it could be a lot sooner, theoretically, if Trump gets elected. Obviously, all this is sort of, you know, goes out the window and suddenly all of these cases are 
are just sort of set by the wayside. So um, the notion that you have hundreds of cases out there of people who have been identified, who many of whom, you know, over 100 of whom are currently photographed uh, or their photos are featured on the FBI's Capital Violence webpage, many of them for assaulting officers who still haven't been arrested, I think is something that um, the SLUs are really grinding these cases out and, and making sure that they're holding the FBI accountable here because they've really handed these cases to them on a silver platter. And I think that it really, you know, I've covered the FBI for, gosh, you know, 12-ish years, uh, 13 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I I never had this sort of completely Hollywood image uh, of them. It, you know, when I, I remember going there as a young reporter and getting you know, more sort of the office vibes than CSI vibes. And uh, I think that, you know, it really has shattered that that Hollywood idea of what the FBI was. And I just think they're really just sort of behind the times on a lot of tech stuff. And there's a lot of reasons for that, one of which is that it's 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 tough to really recruit technologically skilled individuals unless they have a really mission driven purpose just because you know the salaries uh, silicon valley can blow them out of the the water on yeah and you can smoke weed yeah that's actually yes i mean (laughs) it's actually a huge thing right like you know oh you have to like pause and like you know for you have to pause three years ahead of when you would think about joining the fbi um they relaxed it a little bit from what it was before i think there was a a certain number of times you have allowed to have smoked weed but yeah that's a huge a huge obstacle, I think, for um, the Bureau to sort of keep up with the 21st century here. And it's an ongoing theme, really, uh, for the FBI that we, we've seen, you know, going back decades now, really. Um, you know, it, it, it sort of jumped out to me that you could theoretically have joined the FBI right after September 11th, and you would be at retirement age uh, at this point because you need your 20 years. So that's, you know, an entire turnover of, of special agents uh, there. And you know, we're still in this situation where uh, they're just really kind of trying to play catch up on a lot of these technological innovations. How do you think the previous administration's attacks on the intelligence community and uh, the FBI also specifically and the calls now to defund the FBI? How do you think do you think that chills um, their ability to do their work? Because, you know, we've seen a lot of hmm, hesitation almost from these agencies because of you know, they have Jim Comey whiplash, I guess. Have you, did you see that when, uh, when you were putting together this book? Definitely. I mean, there's definitely a contingent of FBI employees who are sympathetic. And that's an, some, someone, a former FBI employee put that in an email to a top FBI official right after the attack saying that, like, listen, you know, a lot of people within the FBI are somewhat sympathetic to the people who stormed the Capitol and don't understand the difference between, you know, stopping the peaceful transfer of power and, you know, your local CVS getting, you know, looted during a, um, during a riot. I sort of think that those two things are, are comparable in some way. And I think that, you know, that is part of the issue, but I think that, you know, you think about this idea of, you know, there was no joint memo between the FBI and DHS, uh, the Department of Homeland Security, ahead of the January 6th attack. And you you put yourself in someone's shoes like that, and you're like, okay, you're about to, it's about to sort of be over our long national nightmare, right? You're kind of, you're going to get through this and, uh, you know, Joe Biden's going to be in office. Who wants to put their name on a document that could be leaked and, you know, very quickly makes its way into the media saying that the president's rally that he's planning on holding is a threat to national security? Um, nobody, nobody wants to do that. And I think that that's why we really didn't see 
as much documentation or some sort of really grouping together um, a lot of the intel that was just openly available to everyone on the internet, um, and some of which was which was actively sent to the FBI and was in the FBI systems. But there's no one sort of piecing together that puzzle or considering what role Trump could play in sort of organizing a lot of this activity. I just actually this uh, part of it's in the book, but the the full context didn't make it because I actually just got the FOIA back a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but there was this memo that they laid out sort of looking through these scenarios that could happen after what they called the disputed election. And, you know, their most likely scenario that they sort of gamed out was that, oh, yeah, people will be determined to do something. Uh, but, you know, they're they're too disorganized and we're too good. Right. Like it was like That's we that got the- red cell thing. Right. We, I, think we, I think we reported on that on the show about yeah. your, your reporting on the red cell memo. That's right. Yeah. And like that. And that was obviously it, you know, and we don't know the entire memo because they redacted it so heavily, but it's not as though they were like, well, Donald Trump, could, you know, this was, they were putting this together a couple of weeks after Donald Trump told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. And you could, but it would have been really dicey to have laid out in a memo, well, you know, what could Donald Trump do here if he wanted to? And, you know, let's look at his past behavior. I mean, that gets into really dicey territory because the FBI is, of course, part of the executive branch. Um, and when you're speculating on the future actions of the sitting president, it just that's just every you know, a bunch of a bunch of flags go up and and nobody uh, nobody wants to touch that. <laughs> uh, it's really tricky territory to get into. Yeah. And, and necessity is the mother of invention. So we have this whole cottage industry that popped up. Uh, how, how big is it? Because, you know, when I talk about I do the media, like citizen journalism and stuff like that, and we see that it's out front everywhere who, who citizen journalists are, independent journalists, how they work with mainstream media. Uh, but how big is this sort of underground, um, you know, sedition hunters? Little, I guess cottage industry is the best way to put it, because it it was obviously necessary and people filled the void. Um, so how big is it? And then, you know, in the future, like, is this going to have to be how we do it? And how do we do it without Twitter? I think it's a uh, good question. I mean, you know, Reddit could, I think, is a, potentially a good organizing platform and a lot of these other platforms that have that have popped up. But it really was, you know, Twitter that was driving a lot of this two and a half years ago when this was originally unfolding and having those hashtags and be able to being able to organize that way. Uh, was really was really critical because you had a situation where the FBI was putting out these these sheets featuring ten photos as though they were going to be sort of hung up in a in your local post office and someone was going to spot somebody they knew there. But that wasn't the reality of how people are are found today. Even if you're trying to get it out to as many people as possible, you want it to go viral. And you know the easiest way to do that would have been to give these individual nicknames. And the FBI has stayed away from that. Uh, but the sleuths have have leaned into that and come up with some pretty some pretty funny ones uh, that I think have gotten a decent amount of attention. But, you know, I think it's it has ebbed and flowed over uh, the course of this. Obviously, this was a lot more people were involved at the very beginning. And and now that uh, the pace has sort of uh, calmed down, now that you know we've had upwards of 400 people sentenced to periods of incarceration, we've had upwards of 600 sentences um, handed out and another 500 cases that are still making their way through the system. I think that, and because a lot of, there's just this huge backlog at the FBI, there hasn't, you know, it's it's tough to put an exact number on it, but it's definitely obviously not what it was at the very beginning. But the people who are doing this are, are really dedicated and really organized and really good at what they do. And there's still these pieces of the puzzle that they're trying to to put together. And every time there's new video that comes out, that's really something they just really 
grab onto. And um, there's just all of these little finds that you would sort of never imagine in terms of how you're able to identify someone. And, you know, obviously facial recognition has played a big role here, but I think the the ones that really give you sort of that adrenaline rush, um, the sleuths say, is is the ones that you're, you're sort of creative about. Um, there's one instance where someone was really covered head to toe. You couldn't really get a good face shot on them. They really were good about keeping their mask on. Um, but then at one point, a video shot from behind of them and they they open up their phone and lo and behold uh, their back screen was the name of their like llc company that they had founded and boom that's it right so you can take all of these precautions and and still sort of have left yourself vulnerable in some capacity uh even if that's you know a freckle somewhere that could be the thing that gives you like right like there's all these little things tattoos are the obvious ones but there's a lot of ways to confirm people and it's particularly if you're with somebody that's that's what uh, I think is, has been a lot of fun for the sleuths where, you know, you wouldn't necessarily be able to say 100% without a shadow of a doubt, this person is that person. But then, hey, if you got them with somebody and then you put those two people together in a different scenario, boom, you're good. You're across the line. What's the um, biggest unsolved mystery that uh, everybody's still working on? I mean, the pipe bomber is sort of the, the big one. And I still have questions sort of about whether or not the FBI sort of missed the window there to get a better sketch of where that individual went uh just because the time i remember when they put out this call for videos it was like right outside of i think the, the average the rings retention policy right so like you know videos we just well, and didn't dan tuono say that some of the geofencing data was corrupt or something like that yeah. i think he just said that in a i don't know january 6th interview or something there's some yeah there that's exactly right yeah and i, I forget why i don't trust that guy though i don't i don't like dan Twan. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners know i don't like that guy he like, so i think that yeah there was something about the the data and also like it's not it looks like the person's on it i say the person because there was some speculation it could be it could have been a woman so even though you want to say like he did the blah, blah 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 but yeah i don't know where <sighs> That's one of those ones that I feel like really could, you know, if as long as that person isn't speaking out, ah, that one could be a really tough one to ultimately solve. The other, there's another individual called Individual Four who's really well covered up inside the Capitol. Uh, but even there's been some slippage on some body cam footage that's come out since that you get, you know, somewhat of a face shot there. So that's one of the ones that uh, I think could ultimately be you know, found in the end. For me personally, there's a the story I sort of tell in the book is um, one involving assaults on officer Jeffrey Smith, who died by suicide shortly after uh, January 6th. And he got into a scuffle with these two individuals um, or multiple individuals inside the Capitol. And that's sort of, you know, resolved off the, off the bat. One of the individuals is pleaded guilty. The other one ended up showing up outside of Obama's uh, DC residence and uh, with guns in his van was arrested you know, almost two years after he'd been identified. So another one of those ones that probably should have hit the docket a little quicker, could have avoided some some drama there. But the the big mystery with for uh, to me with him is there's an assault later at night. And really, there's just not a ton of video um, late in the evening. Uh, I've gone in actually now that Kevin McCarthy, uh, the former speaker, and had opened up this process that you could actually go into these the facility and look at some of this video yourself. I, I went in there and I've requested that video come out, but, you know, looking at it on the screen, even multiple angles pretty far away at night, the quality just isn't quite there 
Um, and you don't have as much video as you did in these other cases during the day where you just had all these live streamers. Hey, it's, you know, some of these, some of these scenes, it's almost like you're, you know, you're watching the NFL on TV, on TV and they do the zoom around on the camera. And it's like, okay, let's check it out from this angle. But that's not quite, uh, you know, where, where things stand at night. So that's a big mystery to me that I, I'm sort of like really determined to figure out who it was who threw a pole at, um, Jeffrey Smith and, cause him to suffer a concussion and um the only death that has been formally said to have been a direct result um and actually died in the line of duty yeah yeah um and that was the the right decision uh and that should be the same for for everyone well thank you very much i want everyone to uh to check out this book again it's called sedition hunters how january 6th broke the justice system there's a lot more in there you guys have to check it out it's available for pre-order now it'll be a full sale wherever you get your books october 17th do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here no yeah just thanks for having me i mean i think it's a really cool really cool story and i think that you know hopefully down the the road i'll be able to tell even more of it but it's just a really neat thing that i think that um that the slews are doing uh, behind the scenes here. Agreed. Thank you so much. Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, everyone. Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, shout out to a loved one or yourself or a small business in your area or an adoptable pet in your area, or you want to tell us what your dissertation or thesis title was, I love those, a whoopee story, blankie story, stuffed animal story, something that's been in your life, some talisman you've had for a long time, I want to hear about that. Uh, anything at all you want to send us, frog orgies, baby pictures, whatever it is, send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. We could need, we we could use all of the good news we can get right now. Oh, we definitely can. So please send that to us. Mm-hmm. All right. First up from Peter. No pronouns. Hello, Beans Queens. I was listening to your podcast this morning and heard the buzzing noise thinking, what the fuck? It was after that, but Allison declared she had swallowed a bug and invited stories of the same. <laughs> I actually have two stories. Many years ago, at a family barbecue, my father was sitting back in a lawn chair, dozing, and a moth landed on his mouth. And he, as he was inhaling, he woke up coughing and had to wipe the gray dust-like scales from the moth wings off of his mouth. <gasps> the second one involved myself. <laughs> I was on a camping trip with a medieval recreation group. Awesome, Peter. Uh, and were you were you drinking your flagon of ale uh, and uh, was visiting the campsite of some group members from Saskatchewan one chilly September morning. They offered me some hot cider, which I received in a metal mug. Yum. While speaking to my newfound friends and sipping my cider, I felt something buzzing on my lips. In reaction, I bit down. I felt a sting inside my lip and spit out half a wasp. OK, I didn't actually swallow, but it was a close call. Love your show. Keep up the good work. Vote blue over Q with a little Canadian flag. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much for those bug-eating stories. This is going to be a hour, I have a feeling. Oh, my God. Ugh. Yeah, here we go. This one's from Matt. Pronounce he and him. And we go into Spanish. Hola, las damas de los frijoles. ¿A dónde está la biblioteca? I have loved your show. <laughs> do, you remember, I, do you remember that stupid movie? Um, what was the Polly Shore one? Encino Man? Oh, where, God. Yeah. Where they end up in a bar and TJ and then they're like, the cheese is old and moldy. Like they're speaking all the Spanish they learned in ninth grade. 
<laughs> that was that sounded like me. And donde está la biblioteca? Okay, I have loved your show ever <laughs> since I first heard AG's interview on the Gist podcast with Mike Pesca. Now, I love the beans and listen religiously. Please keep up your stellar show. I do love it so. For Pod Pet Tax, please see my bud, Phoebe. We did her DNA so we know her breed. Care to make a guess? Oh, my gosh. Say there is some lasso opso in there, and maybe uh, it looks, she looks long. Is there a wiener dog? Poodle, lasso, maybe, uh, what's the, what's the suit? M1? What's the M1 that's all white? Maltese, maybe? Yeah, maybe a little shit. The M1. I'm so. What I'm do so we have here? Lhasa Apso, Shih Tzu, Bichon, Frise, and Maltese. We got three There's out of four. A little bit of Chihuahua. That shit is I everywhere. Mean, oh, man, amazing. we did. Yeah. High five. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a C. That's good. That's better I'll than we it. usually do. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> Uh, next up from Bean, pronoun she and her, lifelong Bean here and newish subscriber to the Daily Beans. For good news, I wanted to share my beloved dog, 89. Feel free to what the mutt. 89 is a never nude. She has an extensive wardrobe that includes shirts, sweaters, coats, and dresses, but also extends to pajamas, jumpsuits, swimsuits, and shoes when outside. Halloween, however, is truly her time to shine. I'm an amateur installation artist. Oh, very cool. And so we often compete in the Tompkins Square Park and Washington Square Park Halloween dog parades in New York City with handmade costumes and corresponding floats. Okay, so you, this is, you're an expert, Bean. In 2021, we won our category and placed third overall with a costume and float inspired by the official portrait of Barack Obama <laughs> by Kahinde Wiley, which we dubbed Bark Obama by Kahinde Woofy. Oh my goodness. Thought you might enjoy that costume in particular. Uh, but to see all of her costumes and more, feel free to check out her Instagram at dognamed89. Other costume highlights include Frida Kahlo, Hello Kitty, and Elton John. Thanks to you both for keeping us informed and for amplifying the good news. I hope our contribution brings some joy back to you and those sharers of good news that have come before us. Sending good thoughts and wishes for peace. Oh, Bean, thank you. Oh, my God. Look at this dog. Uh, oh, and look at the portrait. That is so cute. <laughs> the watch. He's even got his watch on. It's He's a nice got pinstripe. His watch. That is so adorable. Though, you know what you forgot? You know what you left out being? Why is the dog named 89? That's my question. Oh, there you go. I don't think it was in there. Dog named 89. I don't know. We'll get an answer for that. Hope so. All right. This next one's from Chris. Pronouns she and her. Hello, ladies. I fully love listening to you daily. I love all the shout outs from fellow listeners, too. I have an update. Kirk Bangstad. Bangstad? Now I'm going to need a correction on Bangstad. Uh, owner of Minocqua Brewing Company, NBC, has had a win. Oh, boy. Here we go. Orida? Oh, like a ride of fries. Got it. Okay. Oneida? Oneida County. Zoning board finally approved the beer garden for NBC. Now, Kirk has been promoting progressive values in the red part of Wisconsin Northwoods. The NBC has a super PAC and is preparing to sue the state of Wisconsin regarding the school voucher program. He talks about it on his podcast called Up North Podcast. Also, my Ph.D. dissertation was titled Synthesis and Study of Dendromers Containing Non-Conjugated Charge Transferring Repeat Units. 
UMass 2006. Boom. Now as pet tax, here's the youngest of my three dogs. Zori is the best lap dog, but is a monster to anyone who comes up to the house. She likes a good bed, so I thought I would try a baby bouncer. She loves it. Cheers. Oh my God, there's a dog with a baby bouncer. I love it. That's the cutest thing. All right, but synthesis and study of dendromers containing non-conjugated charge transferring repeat units. If you know, I bet if I knew what a dendromer was, I, I would probably <laughs> we need to I look would, it up. Let's see, define dendromer. Uh, it's a synthetic polymer with a structure of repeatedly branching chains, typically forming spherical macromolecules. Well, duh. I mean, everybody knows that. Oh, say so. Synthesis and study of dendromers containing non-conjugated charge transferring repeat units. Okay, cool. I what would what would what would you even do with that? <laughs> I'm so impressed by some of the, I'm, I really am impressed by our listeners. Like I know there's a lot of smart people out there, but like I got a degree in physical education and I'm a professional clown and you guys are like I'm doing the dendromers of the right. You know, I'm like, "Okay. Okay, don't know what any of that means, but hey, maybe no maybe they're afraid to stand up in front of people and tell jokes, so maybe that's my superpower." <laughs> I thought not. I thought conjugating was something with languages. See, I'm very limited in my knowledge, but it sounds cool. It sounds like materials. It kind of reminds me of my materials class in nuclear power school when we talked about interstitial point defects in hardened steel and how that impacts the ductility, toughness, et cetera. You know, the all the I'm sorry, AG, I totally fell asleep on my end. I don't I don't know what you just said. You know what? Let's move on to the next one. But it sounds fascinating and congratulations on your PhD. All right, up next from Anonymous, pronoun she and her. Hello, Beans team. At nearly 45, it's my birthday this Friday the 13th, by the way. Happy birthday, Anonymous. I am back in school pursuing my psychology degree. I love helping people, but like many women, I have historically failed to get paid for it. Well, no more. Ahead of me is a career that not only helps others, but like therapy and the Daily Beans, psychology also helps me make sense of the wider world. I hope to choose a dissertation subject worthy of another Beans submission. Well, maybe you should check out the dendromers and the non-conjugated, you know. <laughs> mm. uh, last night I was studying. By the way, I'm not making fun of your dissertation, uh, Chris. I'm so fascinated by it. I'm going to have to look up each and every one of those words on the internet later to see if I can make sense of it. Uh, last night, I was studying logical fallacies. Oh, those are fun. After years of learning from your podcast, what disinformation looks like, I found it second nature to determine which fallacy was at play. I thought a fun and educational game for your listeners, especially those of us still braving the Twitter cesspool, would be to name the logical fallacy anytime a fascist post pops up in their timeline. I am imagining Leguminati racing to be the first to type post hoc ad hominem or false dilemma with bonus points if they can determine whether the argument is inductive or deductive, valid or not valid, or sound or not sound. Of course, it's an automatic win if you ratio the original post. I like this. Dana, with you in mind, the attached photos of my new nine-year-old daughter who came to us, uh, came into the world with a smile on her face, laughs in her sleep, and has grown to be the kind of kid who high-fives the sky because being alive is amazing, even when there are mosquitoes. <laughs> Since Allison inclusively mentions cocktails and mocktails, I wanted to send a shout out to a local women-owned business here in Eugene, Oregon. High Street Tonics is a non-alcoholic speakeasy and bottle shop tucked away inside another woman-owned business called Bumble Boutique, a gorgeous vintage clothing and gift shop. God, that sounds rad. 
The owner, Sherry, is doing some groundbreaking work with mocktails. If you're local or perhaps visiting the annual solar eclipse on October 14th, you need to try Sherry's signature mocktails. Check them out at highstreettonics.com. Cheers to the Beans team for breaking the strongholds of disinformation <laughs> and trauma in a fun and entertaining way. Look at this baby that looks like like an adult, like a little bit of an adult in a tiny little body. And so happy. Oh, and look at that beautiful photo. Oh, High so five in the sky. sweet. Oh, that makes my heart sing. I know, me too. I got butterflies. I, love, I know. I love tiny little babies that look like like old men or old women. My One of my very best friends in the world and her wife just had a, a, a baby and he came early. And I just got a picture today. And basically she said, turn him vertical and he could be head of finance at Chase Manhattan Bank. <laughs> he looks like a 55-year-old man. Oh, he does. He's so cute, though. And it's so great when people know they've got a, a baby that looks like a grown person and then yep. they dress them in like a suit or something. And, you know, oh, yeah. it's so adorable. I do believe that I have some poetry to read. All right. This is from the Limerhick. I love that. No pronouns given. So I get to read poetry. Now, dear Beans Queens, the fly, the fly, that might be one of the most memorable episodes ever. I've been listening since the kitchen table days and finally found the motivation to write in. Here you go. AG and DG, an ode to AG and the fly. Allison sat in her podcast chair with grace, poise, and so much fucking flair. The headlines were heavy, the stories quite blue, and she was ready to share them anew. But as she began to deliver the truth, a pesky fly decided to join the crew. It buzzed around her head, then to her surprise, darted right into her mouth. Oh, how time flies! She gagged and she sputtered, her face turned quite red, then came out a fuck, or maybe two, it's been said. The pod kept on rolling. Dana looked on in shock as Allison coughed and her heels did knock. The next day's news, to no one's surprise, was all about Allison and that darn fly. Despite the small hiccup, she returned with grace, but Dana always teased how that fly tasted. Love you both. And it was right in the middle of a rant, too. I was so angry. Yeah, you were. You were very mad. And then it was just a... <gasps> okay. <laughs> that sound without context is fucking horrifying, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but you knew exactly what happened. You were like, it's, there's no doubt. There's not oh, a doubt in my man. mind what you what just yeah. did. Did you just swallow a bite? Just swallowed a fly. Fuck me. Yeah, bless your heart. <sighs> I've gotten the best like handmade drawings of the scene from Overboard when she's in the back of the pickup truck wearing the coveralls on the way back from the, from the mental institution when he picks her up and lies to her and says that that she's his wife and she she swallows the bug. I ate a bug. Oh, it's just uh, hand hand drawn memes. Wow, me I made impressive people. Me too, me too. So yeah, that's a day that I think that, you know, we have char charismatic mega plastics and now we have the fly episode. So There you go. I don't know. That's that's a close. That's a close for first. I'm still going with charismatic, but the fly episode is me a too. damn close second. Me too. I just meant in, it, the, it, in that I will remember it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Where were you the day? Okay. Let's not uh let's not whap, wax too rhapsodic about it. <laughs> <Ate a> bug. <laughs> All right, everybody, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Please check out the cleanup on all forty five bonus. It's amazing if you are a patron of Cleanup on All forty five. If you're not yet, 
please become one. You can do that at uh, patreon.com slash aisle45pod, A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D. Um, and then no happy hour today, but we will have a double happy hour for Clean Up in the Beans next Friday. And then, of course, we have the Jack podcast on Sunday. And thanks again to Ryan Riley for taking time to speak to me today about his incredible book. I hope you pick one up. It's well worth the read. Uh, it's just truly incredible. And he's so funny. You, seriously, you will love him if you aren't following him already. Any final thoughts before we get out of here for the weekend, my friend? No, um, just to, I wish everyone has a wonderful weekend. I'm, I'm headed to D.C. to go schmooze with the Prez. So hopefully that'll be fun. Nice. Yeah. And raise some money for the human rights campaign. Give him a hug. Hug him for me. Even if they tell you you can't touch him, just lunge at him. It's fine. Absolutely. That'll be my last show. This is my last show, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. (laughs) (laughs) Overt ways to get rid of Dana. That's right. Go hug the president. Excuse me? (laughs) Just just hug him. Just go for it. He loves love. He's a a nice guy. He's a hugger. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening this week. We'll see you back on Monday. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your family. Vote blue over Q. And take everyone you know with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. And uh, no flies in the room today. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis' first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. 
you will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.